Welcome to the Decipher Podcast. I'm very happy today to have my friend Stefan Tanasa as my guest. Uh, Stefan is a principal security researcher at Ixia in Romania. And uh, we're going to talk about a very interesting concept that Stefan's been, I don't know, how long have you been talking about this, Stefan? At least for a year or so, year and a half, maybe more. Um, 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 yeah, so hi, Dennis. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you for having <laughs> me here. It's a, it's a big pleasure to be on this podcast. Um, and yeah, I've been talking about balkanization since um, uh, the autumn of uh, 2016. Um, oh wow! Okay. Yeah, I did this um, this talk at a TEDx event in Bucharest. Uh, so the presentation was not necessarily aimed at you know technical people or IT people, uh, people who I usually talk to, but it was a more uh, let's say mainstream audience. But it was a very good opportunity to, you know, um, get everyone to understand what's happening in the world around us and specifically on the internet, which is something that it's is very important for us. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, when we were both at Kaspersky years ago, I remember you talking about this concept kind of in broad terms. I don't know if you were using the term balkanization then, um, but, you know, just kind of this idea that the Internet is being segmented into, you know, kind of national pieces uh, in yeah. a lot of cases. Yeah. And, well, I have to you know, admit, I, I didn't know this term back then. Yeah. It's, a, <laughs> it's a very old uh, term used in geopolitics, yeah. you know, that usually defines the process through which an area gets divided into smaller entities. And these entities, um, um, not only they, they refuse to cooperate with each other, but uh, most of the times they actually become hostile to each other. And you know, I noticed these things. I started noticing these things uh, when I started traveling. You know, going uh, going around the world to speak at different uh, different uh, security conferences. You can find yourself, you know, ending up in a hotel room, um, let's say in the Middle East, uh, in a country that mm-hmm. shall not be named, and you want to access some. Um, I don't know how to call them. Um, um, educational websites for adults let's say <laughs> and that's the moment when you realize that those kinds of websites might be uh uh you know blocked in that hotel or even in that uh, that whole country and then yeah i never traveled to china even though i i, I wish i uh, i would go there sometime soon uh but i have friends who who've been there and you know from china you cannot really access the internet that we are used with accessing from the yeah um, this other part of the world so to say so yeah, yeah this is this is why i started talking about this because i'm seeing this uh this uh, trend that is definitely not going to stop anytime soon but to the contrary it's becoming uh, worse and worse i think for the, the 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 free internet for the the concept uh which the internet was created for uh, which is freedom and, you know, connecting everyone. And even though I kind of understand that there are forces behind that um, I'm too powerless to stop, at least what I can do is to raise awareness about this thing and uh, uh, to make everyone think about what's happening around them. Yeah. So th- let's talk about this concept a little bit. And, you know, I think the, the first time that most people would have been aware of, or the first example that most people would come up with is the Great Firewall of China, which, you know, even if people don't know that term, they're aware that, you know, in China, the, the internet is essentially censored. You get the portion of the internet that the government wants you to get. And it's, you know, it's a very small subset of the public internet. 
Um, I've never been there either, but, you know, written a lot about it and very familiar with it. And, you know, I've been to some of the uh, countries that shall not be named that you were just talking about as well. And one of the things you realize is, you know, once you get there and yet just even like trying to go to say, you know, an American, you know, news site or something like that, a lot of times you can't get to those uh, depending on where you are. Um, So when you talk about this balkanization concept, Stefan, is it just government censorship that you're talking about or is there more to it? Well, it definitely started with uh, with government censorship, you know, um, and you brought up the, the Chinese example, which I think is an example that uh, everyone has heard of. Everyone has heard of the Great Firewall of China um, and everybody just takes it, uh, takes it for granted nowadays. But what what not many people uh, know is that um, there was a time when the internet was actually free in China. Uh, this time was between 1994 yeah. and uh, 1997, because what happened there was uh, <laughs> yeah, good old just, days. Yeah, just three just three years. Um, but yeah, what happened there was uh, internet entered China in 1994, and you know the the Communist Party was very quick to realize that. Uh, this new network has the power and the potential to bring like-minded people together. Uh, So they immediately considered this to be a threat um, to their power. And only three years later, in 1997, the first version of the Great Firewall of China was up and running. Uh, It was operational and it was monitoring and uh, monitoring people's access to the internet and also blocking blocking certain, uh, certain resources. So... I would say it's definitely something that starts from the from the government side, uh, but also uh, I cannot only put the blame on governments because if you look at things like look, I'm 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 from Romania, right, and I have a Netflix account, uh, and on Netflix uh, when I browse the TV shows and the movies, I don't see the exact TV shows and movies that you guys in the United States uh, are seeing. And this is, for example, something that is happening because of um, licensing, right? Because of uh, copyright. And uh, whenever Netflix signs an agreement with some some studio to distribute their creations, they might not sign that agreement to include countries like uh, like Romania, for example. So... Mm -hmm. um, so I wouldn't say it's uh, I wouldn't say the government is the only one to blame for this. I think the the private um, the private area also has uh, part of the blame. Uh, but when you mix these these two things together, um, it's happening. What's uh, what's happening nowadays? And also, I think there's also um, how to how to call it um, a mix of um, companies taking decisions privately, but because of either government pressure or because of uh, new legislation that is uh, coming up in different territories. So in order to comply with what's happening in a specific country, uh, companies might make um, sacrifices or they might mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, exceptions, yeah. you know. Uh, right. like, oh, and also China is a very good example about this. Like, you know, right now, um, Google doesn't exist in China. Like if you go to google.cn, it will redirect you to google.tw, Taiwan. Um, but there was a time when Google was operating in China, and when they were operating in China, they had to comply with the requests coming from the the Chinese government. So, for example, if you would Google for uh, pictures of um, um, the Tiananmen Square event, um, right? You know, you would get a search result filled with uh, pictures of you know clear blue sky and some nice uh, Asian architecture. 
if you do the same Google search from anywhere else in the world, you would get, you know, the famous Tankman picture, which became a symbol of the revolution everywhere in the world. So they were changing the way they were displaying results just to comply with the Chinese government. And they wanted to comply with the Chinese government uh, just so that they would be able to do business there. Right. And the more aggressive governments around the world become, the more, uh, um, let's say, delicate decisions different private companies will have to take as we go forward. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, there's a lot involved in this, even for, you know, large companies like Google that are used to dictating the terms to other people. You know, if China tells them or, you know, any other country in combination country and company tells them, listen, in order to do business in our country, these are the, you know, the requirements that you need to meet. Most companies are going to probably consider that very carefully. And, you know, depending on the economic situation of the company, they might meet those requirements. I mean, there's what you were talking about with China is, you know, Google building a censored version of their search engine for the Chinese market, which has caused a lot of controversy inside the company and outside. Right. Um, for, but for those that's true. I, I also heard that Google is planning to go back to China nowadays. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and those are very complicated decisions for those companies. Obviously, um, there's security and privacy concerns in there. Um, do you, and we've seen that with some of the secure messaging apps too, where you know I think WhatsApp ran into trouble with uh, new Russian law, and in some other countries where they want them to in, essentially insert a backdoor or be able to hand over encryption keys on demand, which, you know, they're not complying with. Um, so do you anticipate seeing more and more of that as, as time goes on? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I don't like to see myself as a pessimist. I like to see myself more as a, as a realist, uh, but I don't really see why, um, why this trend will, um, let's say go down in the future. Uh, because if you look around, you can see ideologies such as, you know, um, nationalism um, uh, being on the rise again, and mm-hmm. I think this is not something good for the for the free internet when everyone wants to control what they're doing in inside their own uh, backyard, so to say. But the backyard is actually a country. Um, so you have examples such as uh, with companies such as Apple, who are who have very good track record in implementing things such as encryption and security, and uh, uh, they take a lot of good care of our privacy because you know Apple is not uh, they're not a software company; they're a hardware company. So they make their profit uh, out of selling the hardware, not the software. Uh, mm-hmm. But then at the same time, if they want to sell their uh, hardware in China, they will have to, uh, for example, ban uh, different applications from the App Store and because the, the phone is locked down and you cannot actually install any kind of app you want. You just, you're just allowed to install apps coming from the official App Store. When you access the official App Store from China, then, for example, VPN apps, apps that allow you to circumvent uh, censorship, will not be available for you. So, yeah, companies are, are in a very delicate situation nowadays. And I'm not very optimistic about how this is going to evolve because, um, you know, money, money makes the world go round. And uh, I think the decision will always be based about how much profit they can make uh, by taking a decision versus how much money they will lose by taking the other decision. Yeah, I I wonder how, you know, there's a lot of discussion about this, these kind of problems in the security and privacy and digital rights communities. 
Um, but I wonder how much, you know, the normal user, you know, your friends, my friends who might not be uh, in the tech industry or, or completely up on what's going on, I wonder how much they're aware of this and, you know, what the actual effect, um, you know, is on everyday users. This is I, this is a very good question, Dennis, and uh, this is actually one of the things that uh, keeps me up at night, which is the fact that we are <laughs> moving in this direction, and we collectively, as a society, we're taking these decisions and moving forward with them, without actually having a meaningful public debate around these topics, uh, and and you know, um, sorry, sorry about that. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we don't really have a meaningful debate about these topics, and I think that these are topics that are going to influence how the the world will look in the future and how we will communicate and cooperate with each other. And with, I think this is a very big uh, decision that we collectively, as a society, need to take. And how can you take such a decision if you're not informed about it? If nobody is is debating these topics, except for um, certain closed circles, such as, as you mentioned, the security world or the privacy enthusiast world. Um, mm-hmm. So this is why I took it like a personal pers- personal mission of mine to um, try to bring this topic up in uh, audiences as div- diverse as possible. So not only at security conferences or security events or when talking with security journalists, but also with the, the mainstream uh, the mainstream area. And the the reason why uh, why i think that this is a big problem is because i think that we are right now in a kind of a like a boiling frog moment you know when you keep hitting the water <laughs> and the frog doesn't realize that the water become, becomes so hot so the frog dies without even thinking of jumping from the water so all these little steps i see them as you know adding up and piling up and you know how um, how regular people think like hey it's not about me this is not my problem this is not something yeah. that is going to affect my life this is a problem that i have in china and china is very far away and i don't care what's happening there uh, but I tell you, living in a place like Romania, which is literally in Eastern Europe and literally in the Balkan area, um, uh, I see this trend coming closer and closer to to my physical location, you know, and looking around and seeing that nobody cares about this, I have to admit, makes me a little bit, uh, a little bit frustrated. And I think that if we don't have a debate about these things right now, uh, when we finally realize uh, where we came, uh, where we arrived, uh, it yeah. will be already too late, and the frog will already be dead, and <laughs> there's nothing you can do then. It will be already too late. And of course, you know, people like, you know, the hacker type of people, or security people, or privacy enthusiasts, I think they also don't do enough to fight for uh, for a, a truly free internet, uh, because for them it's much easier to say, "Hey, but I have a tool that can uh, circumvent that block, or I have a tool that can mm-hmm. circumvent that uh, uh, that censored uh, censored part of the internet." So for sure, you might have a tool, but you know, 90% of the population doesn't have that tool, or doesn't even know. How to install that tool or doesn't even know that that tool even exists you know so i think that uh, we're kind of privileged to be able to work with technologies and to understand technologies that can uh, bypass censorship and uh, blocked websites uh, but i would like to see these technologies being available and on mass so to say for the whole for the masses right and, it, and it's kind of a unfortunate state of affairs that we need to be able to make you know, uh, censorship circumvention tools available to the general public just so they can get to the free internet. 
Um, you know, that's you, you should only need VPNs for security reasons, not to you know to, not to evade censorship. Um, unfortunately, that's kind of the, how things are in yeah. quite a few places around the world already. And Honestly, I also see like good. Uh, good steps that are happening in that direction. Um, so, for example, if you use the Tor browser nowadays, it's so much mm-hmm. better than how Tor browser was, let's say, five years ago or ten years ago. Uh, the network is much faster; it's much more easy to use. And lately, I don't know if you if you've noticed, but uh, there's some kind of friendship starting to build up between the Mozilla Foundation and the Tor project. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, they started implementing, uh, Mozilla started implementing all sorts of uh, privacy features in Firefox, that features that were initially developed in Tor. And also, I don't know if they still do this, but they were doing this uh, at the end of last year when I checked. Uh, if you would donate to the Tor project, then Mozilla Foundation would um, double your donation. So I see this nice, nice friendship that is... Uh, uh, that is sparkling up between them, and I only see this as a as a good thing, you know. So I'm sometimes when I look at these things, I'm happy with the direction where technology is moving. Like more and more people understand why we should have a free internet. Uh, mm-hmm. But let's say I'm just not happy with the speed at which things are moving yeah. in that direction. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it is nice to see those kind of technology partnerships happening. But as you said, Steph, I think you know the the hacker community that you know, you're part of, and I, I've been, you know, observing for a very long time, um, you know, it kind of came out of this mindset of um, not rebellion, but kind of independence and doing things on your own and getting things done, yeah, which is, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And, and it usually happens on like an individual scale and not so much on an organized, you know, uh, group or even national scale. Um, which might be what is needed in order to kind of reverse some of the problems that you're talking about. Well, um, last time I talked about this uh, balkanization topic, it was at, uh, at Def Camp, which is the main hacker conference that we have here in, uh, in Bucharest, Romania. And I actually got a very interesting question from, uh, from a journalist. Uh, and he asked me uh, kind of the same thing. He asked me, like, do you think this uh, the solution to these problems should be technical or the solution should be political Uh, Mm -hmm. and yeah i kind of answered that it needs to be a little bit of both because if you are just going to approach it on the technical way and i think the hacker community is only looking at the the technical solution uh, you're not going to achieve much because it will take you many many years until your technologies are going to be usable and as long as uh, people can chat with their friends on uh, facebook messenger they will never use your, you know, super duper technical, secure, uncensorable uh, uh, chat system. Uh, right. So the, the, the solution, so yeah, as we were discussing in the beginning of the of your podcast, if the problem is both, uh, let's say, uh, the government and the corporations, then the solution should be also coming from two sides. Also the technical side, but also the, uh, let's say, social side. Yeah. I agree. And, you know, there more of it is like it, it seems to be mostly a policy issue in my, you know, in my view. I mean, the censorship obviously is implemented via technology, but it's a political decision for governments to go this way. And it's and it's mostly a political decision for companies to either, 
you know, decide to do business in a company in a country that makes these kind of demands or not to do business there. Those are, you know, policy decisions. Um, so, you know, a lot of it, I think, does need to be policy driven, you know, resistance, if that's the right word, or education or opposition, whatever it happens to be to, to try and get people aware of how this is happening. And, you know, what the consequences of it could be. I mean, um, you know, I, are there restrictions right now in Romania stuff? Like, aside from, you know, like not getting the same Netflix shows or, you know, being able to see HBO when you want to, but do you run into restrictions right now? Uh, well, the internet in, in Romania is, uh, let's, let's just say we're pretty proud of our internet. Like everyone has, uh, you know, one gigabit connection, fiber to the basement. Uh, we pay something Damn. like $10 a month for this kind of what? internet connection. So it's like the fastest and the cheapest <laughs> Uh, uh, in the world. Um, what so the hell? We're pretty proud of it. But <laughs> in the last two years, uh, some, uh, let's say, little things started to happen coming from uh, from the government side. So what happened, uh, what happened two years ago was um, it was the first moment when Romanian ISPs were ordered to block certain websites after the government changed the laws about gambling or online gambling so okay. all of a sudden if you were if you were a website that offered online gambling services um you would be blocked in romania unless you would get a certain type of license so unless you register as a company that's doing this business in romania okay um, so that was the the first step that happened and you know just like i said with the boiling frog moment people talked about it a little bit but then you know come on uh, People were looking at each other and saying, "Come on, you're not a gambler. I'm not a gambler. Maybe gambling yeah. is not the best thing that you can do with your life. So maybe it's not that bad." <laughs> so the public discussion was over as quickly as it uh, as it started. Uh, then what happened? Uh, what happened last year? Uh, because of some uh, Hollywood studios who I think they sued some ISP in Romania, um, the ISPs were ordered to block. Um, certain websites which would offer Romanian users um, TV show episodes for free. It's like okay. a web-based streaming of uh, TV episodes. And yep. uh, so these kinds of websites were also blocked. And, you know, the average Romanian, again, let's say doesn't have, have any problem with that because they can just use torrents to download their favorite TV shows as long as they're not available <laughs> on, uh, on Netflix or other streaming platforms. Um, but this is exactly, I mean, the, what's happening in Romania nowadays, I think, illustrates uh, perfectly this image of the boiling frog, because little steps are taken, let's say one step every year. There is a little bit of public debate, but usually that public debate ends quickly because nobody cares about gamblers or nobody cares about people who are pirating, uh, uh, you know, TV shows. They don't see this <laughs> right. as being a real problem. Uh, and sooner or later, you know, for example, with all this uh, discussion about fake news that's been happening around the world after the, the U.S. elections, um, sooner or later, I wouldn't be surprised if there will be a new law that will come up that would say that, hey, we have to block uh, fake news websites. And everybody oh. would probably agree, right? Because it's uh, who wants to read fake news? <laughs> but then the trick is how do you decide what's fake and what's not? And that's right how how legit and transparent that decision uh, that decision is so this is why i'm more of a fan of education more of a fan of uh, educating people and making them understand 
about the problems that are happening uh, because I don't want my government or any government to decide what kind of websites I'm allowed to access, what kind of apps I want to install on my phone. Uh, if I don't want to read fake news, I can just install a browser extension that would um, block the face, fake news websites for me, right? I can create my own uh, my own filters. Uh, right. But yeah, I don't like using these things to... Um, uh, to threaten uh, the freedom of the internet because the internet was created by Tim Berners-Lee Berners -Lee, uh, to essentially unite uh, unite everybody and to enable everyone to communicate more uh, uh, more quickly and more efficiently and we shouldn't be raising walls on the internet so, so sorry I'm getting a little bit um, uh, no no <laughs> I'm with you on that yeah I mean I talk about these things. no that's I mean I feel the same way I mean you know I'm an old person, so I remembered, you know, kind of when before the internet was public, before the World Wide Web was, you know, a public thing. And, you know, most of the people that are on the internet now are don't, you know, they don't have that context and they just think, oh, this is how it's always been. <clears throat> and as you said, if people, if there's these little small incremental uh, changes like the gambling ban that you were talking about or, you know, say a fake news thing like that people don't get too upset about that. You know, there are these little small changes and then eventually you look up one day and you're like, Oh shit, I can't get to most of the internet. Like what the hell happened? You know, you, it's a very gradual thing. And until you, you know, the frog is boiled at the end of it and you don't, you don't know what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Dennis. Uh, first of all, you're not that old. Like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm older than you are. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, and and second of all, um, oh god, now now I'm thinking about my age. So I, <laughs> I, I just turned thirty this uh, <laughs> this winter. So now I also oh feel, my god, I feel old. Um, thirty. But yeah, it's a it's a sad thing the the current state of uh, state of affairs, mm -hmm. and you know another uh, let's say a thing another thing that frustrate frustrates me about this whole situation is when looking at the engineering world because I'm a, originally a software engineer I used to be a developer before I started doing security research um, I realized that most developers they don't really care about what code they are writing. Uh, they don't really care about the bigger picture. Um, this comes from the, let's say, the, the being a doer kind of mentality. Like, hey, we are hmm. developers. We want to do things. We want to implement new features. We want to take our product to the next level. Uh, we want to collect more data. Why do we want to collect this data? I don't know, but let's collect it because storage is cheap and we have a, a big data <laughs> right. structures nowadays. And because, often, we can, because we unfortunately. can, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I would often like to see software developers take a step back and try to look at the bigger picture and maybe try to read a little bit of history or a little bit of uh, philosophy because what's happening nowadays on the internet is not necessarily new. I mean, uh, Europe, where I live, used to be, uh, you know, uh, a continent that was divided between the East and the West and between walls being built by different people. Uh, by different countries and we already mm -hmm. decided that that wasn't a very good uh, very good thing for evolution uh and now when i'm seeing the same kind of mistakes being made but this time on the internet uh i kind of get uh, get frustrated and you know there were some 
I don't know how to call them scandals or topics that were discussed lately, like for example with Facebook Analytica, uh, Cambridge Analytica, that leaked yeah. that uh, that bunch of data from about Facebook users, um, and I was happy with this because I was seeing uh, uh, this discussion reaching the mainstream area, you know, and people realizing that hey maybe we shouldn't be collecting all this data or maybe we shouldn't just be handing over this data to to uh, to companies. Um, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah, think, it does. It does. Something should happen with the developers also because, uh, um, like, like it happened in the Google's case when they had all these resignations after um, after the the Chinese project, Chinese search project became public. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw this. This gave me a little bit of hope because I saw that uh, maybe not all developers have this you know cold heart and they don't really care about what technology they're developing. Um, Maybe some of them have some ethics, some principles, and I think that if we, as the development community, would just try to understand more where we are coming from as a society and where we are heading, uh, maybe you know when you get a job offer to work for a company that is actively involved in uh, censoring parts of the internet, maybe you would uh, refuse that. Maybe you talk to your <laughs> friends and to um, and to to ask them to do the same thing. The sad right. thing is that usually, as far as I noticed, um, there's big money to be made in this censorship business and internet surveillance business. And there's a flourishing industry. You know, if you look at the private surveillance industry, that's a so fact. Yeah, all these companies like uh, you know NSO mm-hmm. who are developing malware and is being used by repressive regimes to target activists or journalists, or um, you know companies that sell. Um, zero-day exploits and you see how what kind of prices <laughs> they are willing to pay for those zero-day exploits you realize that there's huge money to be made in this area oh yeah yep tons of it um but i'm i'm really happy that you're talking about this topic not just to like my audience and other technical audiences but also you know you mentioned the first time you gave this talk was to a tedx uh event in was it in Romania? So yeah, yeah, it was TEDx Bucharest. So what was it like delivering that to? I, I assume that you know that's just a general audience. It's not a technical audience because those talks you know go all over a bunch of different topics. They're not all yeah technical really. But what was the what was the reception like there, Steph? Well, uh, the reception gave me a lot of courage to continue uh, going forward with this uh, with this topic because it was a very warm reception and everybody understood the topic and the, the problems that are happening. Um, of course, I also have to give them credit because usually the TEDx audience is usually, let's say, young or middle-aged people who are not old like you, <laughs> who are pretty, <laughs> pretty, let's say, interested in uh, cultural affairs and technology, right, and entertainment. Yeah. Um, so they're pretty educated and they're people who like to read uh, books and who like to listen to podcasts and who like to think about, uh, about things. And I would like to see the same from, um, you know, from the tech world to be a little bit more thinkers rather than just doers. Um, and actually, while we're talking about differences between, let's say, bubbles, social bubbles, um, mm-hmm. I think that what's happening in InfoSec is great, Like, but it's just a bubble. And, you know, it's a bubble. When you go to hacker conferences, you see this uh, all these nice ideas and all this good feedback about different projects. But if you take a step back and you look at it from somewhere above, you realize that this is uh, an echo chamber. 
And unfortunately, we all agree with each other and we all work together to try to achieve this free internet. But we, if we don't manage to somehow break out of our bubble and get into the other uh, the other areas where people like with people that don't attend security conferences, then we will never be able to make a difference. And I right. think that uh, actually this is a let's say a philosophy by which I also guide my my personal life and my friendships. Like I I I don't want to surround myself with only with people that are from uh, from the same bubble. I like to keep an open mind and I like to listen to other ideas and be able to make informed decisions uh, uh, by myself. And if you look at what's happening in social media right now, uh, how these bubbles are forming, everybody's just surrounding themselves only with the people they agree with. Everybody just follows accounts of, uh, you know, on Twitter, on Facebook, accounts that are posting things that you want to read. And I think that this is a very, very dangerous trend. Um, there were some nice graphs that were put up after the... Uh, after the the Brexit vote in the United Kingdom, uh, and mm-hmm. they were plotting the Twitter usernames that were using different hashtags, like hashtags for uh, exiting the European Union, uh, like the leave part, and hashtags for uh, staying in the European Union, like the, the remain part. And yeah. when you plot that thing and visualize it as a, as a graph, uh, you realize that these two bubbles are so well separated from each other and they don't really communicate with each other. So each camp has their own opinions and they're just echoing uh, between each other, uh, you know, uh, status messages and links to articles that are just going to support their opinion and refuse to even listen to what the other, uh, the other part has to say. And I think this is also something that's happening in the United States, and you probably know it better than me. <laughs> it's very much so happening here, and that's you know uh, even more so since the last presidential election. Yeah. And you know, it, it doesn't seem to be getting better. I can tell yeah, you that. And, and really, like this is not this is not what 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 the internet was created for. Like the that's internet right. was supposed to give everyone access to everything, so that you can learn and you can decide what's better for yourself, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. That would be nice if that's what people used it for, but you know, (laughs) we both know better, unfortunately. So, um, all right, Steph. Well, thanks a lot, man. It was always great catching up with you. And, uh, I really love talking about this topic. It's, it's super interesting and hopefully, uh, you're going to keep evolving it. Do you have any more, uh, talks on it? set up in the coming months uh, well for sure uh, uh, i don't have the dates yet but i've submitted this talk to different conferences and yeah i'll be keeping everyone updated on twitter uh, about um, uh, about where i'm going to talk about this and you know the, the okay. talk is always evolving and it's always uh, uh, um, uh, it's always i'm always adding new things to it depending on where i'm traveling what the specific of that country is or what the specific of that uh, audience is. So for me, it's very nice to be able to hear feedback from different people coming from different backgrounds in different parts of the world. And, yeah, it's yeah. a very cool talk. Thank you for having so, me here. Uh, yeah. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk about uh, balkanization because I think it's, uh, it's something that we're definitely not discussing enough. Yeah, so. you bet. All right. Thanks a lot, Steph. It was great talking to you, man. Cheers, Dennis. Have a, have a great Talk day. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. You too, pal.